applause. They're going to tell us what they're doing. Well, thank you, Pastor Scott, and uh, thank you, church, for the warm welcome, and uh, it really is awesome to be here. Uh, we're, we love Colorado. I love Colorado. Uh, a couple, and I always say this, I'll let, my wife will talk, don't worry, I know I always hog the mic, so, but she'll get a chance. So, uh, Last time I was on that, well, you can't see the mountain now, but I got sick up there, uh, but that's not my, my bad thing about Colorado. I love it, so I'll, I'll defeat that mountain one day. Anyways, um, so... We are Max and Lauren Brockmeyer. We are from uh, Boston, Massachusetts. And yes, I am a Patriots, Patriots fan. And uh, now that I have your attention, um, no, I'm going to share with you real quick a little bit about who we are and what we're doing. So a long time ago, or uh, when I was growing up, I went through a series of very unfortunate events. Uh, I lost my brother to a uh, freak accident at a Royal Ranger event. And uh, not even a year later, I almost lost my father at the same exact camp. And uh, I remember I came home from school one night, and I probably asked, like, the 10th girl out to uh, homecoming dance, and I was re- just rejected. And I really thought that it was because of how I looked. You see, I was born with physical handicaps, uh, and I don't have any toes either. And so I came home determined to really end my life. I went and I grabbed a bottle of Tylenol, and if that didn't work, uh, I went and I grabbed my dad's handgun. And I went to my bedroom, and for some reason, I ended up falling asleep not having done any of this. And basically what was going on was God was showing me what in the world, why would you end your life over something as silly like this? You see, he gave me a second chance. Like most of us sitting today in this room, God has given us a second chance. And I had to do something about that. I was born in the former Soviet Union where I was never going to have a chance at life ever again, but God. And so through much uh, series of great events, uh, I met my wife and uh, we decided to become missionaries. And so Lauren's going to share real quick what we just got done doing. So um, his father, just to make this clear, his father did um, make a full recovery. He's miraculously healed, um, retired, and living in Florida. So uh, just to add, make sure that's clear that his father was was healed. Um, So we just got done serving for the past two years in a city um, in the northern part of Belgium, and it's about um, 500,000 people, and the city is called Antwerp. Um, We were the only missionaries, along with our our career missionaries that we were partnering with, um, up in the northern part of Belgium, and uh, that part of Belgium has not seen missionaries in decades. Um, It's a very difficult, hard-to-reach area. So we were able to help establish a church slash coffee shop slash community center in the heart of the city, not five minutes away from the red light district, um, and minister to the people in that city. We met people from all walks of life. We met people um, who had never heard the gospel before, um, who had heard the gospel, but it was through um, a series of unfortunate events that they were tarnished and um not interested in Christianity at all. They were very angry towards Christians and the gospel. Uh, We met people of Islamic faith. We met people... Um, from all over the world, living in the in this this very international city, um, and we had the opportunity to minister and start a church. Um, we did various activities, but I'll just share this brief story of this one woman that we met, and I ended up having a conversation with her over coffee, and um, she is uh, is of. Uh, 
Muslim faith. And uh, she, her and her husband had to flee Turkey during the coup because her husband was a journalist um, and was uh, part of a, a newspaper that spoke against the government. So they had to flee the country. And um, she was working on her doctorate in Belgium. But she shared with me over coffee that she didn't know if she believed in Allah. And that was something very profound um, for her to share with me, her, her doubts, because um, Islam is a very... Um, strong community and you're not allowed to speak out against um, your doubts in, in your faith. Um, and I don't think that would have happened had I been in Turkey with her. I don't think she would have felt comfortable to share that with me. But because we were in Europe, um, she felt very comfortable to share. So we had some amazing experiences like that. And um, now we're being called back to Europe. Yeah, so we're really excited because um, I know it says Belgium up there, but this just actually changed. Um, God has called us back to Europe, and we're going to be going to the Netherlands, so neighboring country. And uh, we're going to be partnering with an organization called Convoy of Hope. And we'll be working with establishing connections with the national churches throughout the country to do outreach programs with a massive emphasis on um, the refugee crisis that's going on. Over 2 million uh, refugees have poured into Europe. That's literally like saying Houston, the entire city of Houston, has gone into Europe now. And so they need to hear Jesus just as much as we do. And so we are blessed and honored to go over there and be a part of that, an awesome company, an awesome organization. And so we can't do it without you guys and your prayers and your support. And so if you'd like to find out more, uh, we'll have a small table out there. Uh, so next time you think of like uh, Dutch, you know, they're, they're not really known for their chocolate. They are known for their tulips. So Belgian chocolate's better. Uh, so Definitely think of the Netherlands and the refugees that are over there. So definitely visit our table, grab a prayer card. And guys, thank you so much for your support and your prayers. We, we, we really appreciate it. We can't do it without you. God bless you guys. Thank you, guys. We're going to pray for them. As, uh, as always, we pray two basic things. We pray the Holy Spirit will go before them, protect them, guide them, wisdom, all the things that they need that they don't even know. And then we also pray that, uh, that God will put them into our hearts as part of us. This is, this is part of the reason they have prayer cards. So you can grab one of these prayer cards, put it on your refrigerator, uh, wherever is, is somewhere that you would recognize regularly. And then uh, you pray for them. You see their face and you think about what's going on and you pray for them. So everybody stand with us if you would. And uh, you guys can step right down here. And we're going to, anybody that wants, come up this way. And we want to pray for them. And uh, just get to connect with them in this whole thing. It, it um, I, I, I told them at the first service, uh, we were, we're going to pray more if they were going to Belgium, but now they've switched to Netherlands. It's going to be a little bit less, but we'll probably still give, you know, a good 80% of uh, what we've got here. So let's pray for them. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for you. We thank you for you calling us, you using us. Lord, I thank you uh, for using them, Lord, for, for anointing them for your gospel to go forward. Lord, we know that this, that the, this refugee issue is such a big one, and there are, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people that need you in those groups of people, and so, Lord, use them in that. Protect them, keep them safe, and, and use them. Lord, use their, their minds, their hearts, their, their personalities. Use every single aspect of this. God, we also ask you to put them into our hearts as part of us, that we're going to pray for them. We're going we're gonna to believe for them, and that they're going to be like part of us going out there, and God, we thank you for this. We thank you for, for your big plan of how you do things, for using us, for using them. And God, we, we give you glory for all of this, all of this for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 
And there will be an usher at the back at the end of service, and then also definitely grab one of their prayer cards uh, on the table out there. It gives you a chance to, to pray for them, to, to see a, a face with this. And, uh, and, and then you get, to be, you get to be a part of this on a spiritual level. You get to be a part of all the different things that are going on. So, so last week, I, I, I talked about the fact that God uses uh, stuff in your life and in your world. And I, I used some examples. I'm going to go back to some of those scriptures this morning and kind of focus in on a little bit different part of it. But it's, the, it's kind of the big part of the, the subject, the same subject. Uh, so, so last week, talking about like Moses and God said, I'm going to do all this stuff to you, and Moses was unsure, can you do this, whatever, and God said, what's in your hand, and he, and he had the staff in his hand. Again, to, to reiterate this, it's, there's nothing special about that staff. That's just a, a piece of wood. God could have done anything with any uh, circumstance there. If, if Moses would not have been holding a staff when he said this, and, and a lot of things come from this, that the staff turns into snakes, um, and eats the Pharaoh's snake, the staff parts the water, the Red Sea, the staff um, uh, pulls water out of the rock, all these different things that happen with this. But if Moses wouldn't have had a staff in his hand, God could just as easily have said, what's that on the ground beside you? A stick. Okay, um, pick up that stick. Now what's in your hand? It could have been the exact same thing. He could have said, um, uh, Moses, Moses didn't have anything, no sticks in the ground. Again. Moses, go to that tree and cut a branch off that tree, and, and then uh, what's in your hand? A branch from the tree. And then today we would have entire books, documentaries written about the, the tree, the, the branch of the tree, and all these theologians would be explained to us the significance of cutting the branch off the tree, right? When really the importance is not the, the stick, the staff that he's holding. The significance is that God was doing stuff. That's just a, a physical thing that Moses could take a little bit of strength from because he had it in his hand. It wasn't, there wasn't, there, there, this, it wasn't a magical staff. It's just God did stuff. And I really believe for most of us that in, in any given moment, just, to, just take a moment in our life, a lot of the things that God is trying to do in our life, he's going to use the stuff in our life already. The moment, the time, if nothing else, he's going to use our brain, our understanding, our wisdom, and then he's going to, to do the supernatural with that as the, the uh, catalyst or, or, or the, the kickoff point. But God is going to do supernatural things because he's God, not because of a staff, not because of, of, a, of a thing that, that uh, Moses is holding or anybody else through Scripture they're doing is it's, it's about it's about God working in us and in our moment and our time and part of the reason I think that is so important for us is because I I think we have this propensity to desire something from the outside some kind of thing I this is one of the things that was so um I, when we went to Israel a couple of years ago th this was a very discouraging thing for me I I, I kind of knew because I've been in places like that but but when we went to different uh churches and and shrines and stuff like that in Israel that people would be taking like like rabbit's foot, and and rubbing it on the the altar in front of the church, and then and you know doing that with like twenty or thirty things and putting it in their bags. I thought, what is, why are you doing that? Do you think there's something special about the stone step at the front of that altar? That that, that there's magic in that rock? Do you think there's something special about the thing? I mean, some people would I would walk by and they would have. Tons of little things, little trinkets all over these, whatever, wherever we were. It was all different, different things, different places. We'd go to the tomb, and you could see people taking things out of their bag and rubbing the walls of the tomb. And, and you're thinking, come on. Do you really think that's, 
that that does anything whatsoever. There's nothing special about Moses' staff or any of those other things. It's about God being God, him being supernatural, and him being really big in our life. Now, sometimes he does use things that get our attention and have a point of contact to faith, but there's nothing special about that. God's doing God stuff, and that's what we have to focus in on, is that God wants to use us right now in our lives, and he wants to use the things of our lives. He didn't have to create some new existence or some kind of extra something. He can use everything that's going on in your life right now. To, to give him glory, to do supernatural things, all this other kind of stuff. Now, with that being said, uh, I want to kind of go to like the next part of this and to focus on the fact that most of the God moments that we see in Scripture are, are actually come from a desperation kind of thing. It's a, um, it's a, it's a hunger for God. There is, we see this ingrained throughout this. And, and, it, and I don't, I don't want to overdo this because I'm not trying to uh, be too critical or kind of... Um, condemning with this, but I do think there is this mentality we got to process, is that in, in the American church, we really, for the most part, I'm not saying individuals at certain times. Many of us as individuals at certain times really come to a, a, a big point of desperation. But for the most part, the church thinking in, the, in a general sense is not really an urgency or a desperation kind of thing. God is something that, that's kind of alongside. We, that, that, you know, we, we, do, we live our Christianity out while we're doing all this other stuff. And it's not this, this desperation where we come before God saying, God, I need you more than anything else. I desperately need you. And, and we see that in Scripture quite a bit where there is this hunger. There is this, I, I can't, I don't have any other options, God. I, I've tried everything and I need you. I need you to be God. I need you. So I'm going to go back to a couple of the stories that I, that I looked at last week. And we're going to go to different little uh, thought process within. In Exodus chapter 3, this is going back to Moses, and this is, this is uh, long before God said, um, Moses, what's in your hand? I mean like, like years, I'm saying previous to this, okay? And this is the burning bush moment, and so this is amazing, Moses said to him, why is this bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied, do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you're standing on holy ground. This is, this is an important thing to process here. I, I, I think we do this. In fact, I grew up in church where this was, this was kind of the, the way of thinking, was the church building itself was holy. I, I've talked about this before. You weren't allowed to do anything in the building. You weren't allowed to breathe in the building. Um, I remember one time when I was a little kid, these other kids, they were, they were board members' kids. I wasn't a board member's kid. But um, they, after communion, the communion was sitting over to the side. After the communion, they went up and were drinking the juice and eating the bread, right? I said that once to, to my wife, and she said that the, you guys did that. Oh, you, went, you, you waited till it got all the way back in the kitchen. I got you. Okay, so... Because it was holy in the church. It's weird. I watched those kids do that thinking, God's going to kill them. God's going to kill them for drinking that grape juice and eating that bread because that's holy. Guys, we do this sometimes. We actually put a, a sacredness to stuff that does show us sacredness, but it isn't sacred within itself. The juice and the bread is not sacred within itself, but it shows us something. It points us a direction. And so we have the opportunity to say, okay, God, this, Moses comes up to this bush, and, and God says, this is holy ground. Now, let me ask you this. Was the sand 
that Moses is standing on holy. Process this with me. <laughs> I wouldn't either. It's about to happen. So was the sand itself a, a, a holy thing? No. All right? Was the, now here's another one. Think about this with me. Have you ever wondered why God lit up a bush? Have you ever wondered why God does this? I'm going to give you some deep insight here. Because it got Moses' attention. That really is the main reason. I think you could pull some other you know, spiritual reasons. It didn't burn up. I think there's some things. But what is, the, what is the focus? Because Moses is walking along, and when you see a burning bush that's not getting burned up, you have a tendency to go and look at it. And then when he gets there, he says, Moses, now you're on holy ground. Is it because the bush is holy, or the fire is holy, or the sand is holy? or any of this? No, none of these things. It's because God is there. That's it. It's because God is there. And so let me bring this parallel for you to process. And I believe this is just as legitimate as the burning bush. I believe you're laying in bed praying at night. Your pillow is a holy thing. Is it because it's a pillow that has down in it or something like that? No. I have a bamboo pillow. Does that mean it's holier because it's a bamboo pillow? No. It's because if that's where I'm spending time with God, that's holy ground. It's, it's not the ground itself. It's not the physical things. It's God that is saying, I'm here. Moses, take off your sandals because I'm here, and this is now holy ground because I'm here with you. I really believe that you sitting in your living room of a morning or an evening, spending some time with God in devotions, whatever, that becomes holy ground. That, that chair becomes holy ground. Does he need to light a, your lazy boy on fire to get your attention? Maybe. I don't know. We're not, I don't want to take that off God's plate. But, but that's the point where you're like, God, you got my attention. Please don't set my chair on fire. You don't have to have this moment because you've got, you're having that God connection time. That's the holiness is God there. It's not where you are or the details around you or the ground you're standing on or anything else. It's because God visits you there. So God says to Moses, Moses, this, this is a holy moment. I want to talk to you. I want to tell you something. And this is the key to this. Let's go down to verse 6. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Here's something if you want to do a little study, and this is a cool little thing. Part of the reason that Moses covers his face is because he thinks he's looking at God because he sees the fire of the bush, and the bush is not getting burned up, and he sees the fire. And he's doing the same thing that we can do sometimes. He's taking some of his Egyptian background. Remember, he, was, he grew up and was trained in, in the Egyptian uh, mentality, religion, everything else, even though he was also t- uh, taught by his mom about God and and and. Um, and uh, God's plan for humanity and stuff like that. I believe when he was looking at the bush, he was buying into some of the the mental thinking and was saying the bush itself is holy and that must be God. The fire must actually be God. But it wasn't. That's why he covers his face. It's just a fire burning up a bush but not burning it up. Does that mean it's God itself? No. But Moses covers his face because he thinks he's looking at God. Which goes back to some of his, there's some, there's some cult mentality going on there that, he, that I think is, he doesn't even realize he's doing this. God's saying, I'm not, I'm not in the bush. I'm not, I'm not fire in the bush. That's a representation of me. It's a representation of my power. Then the Lord told him, and this is the key. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries and distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. 
I think that's an important sentence for, for many of us at different times, that God is aware of our suffering. Because sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes we feel like God doesn't have a clue. Sometimes we even wonder if there is a God. We've been praying, all this kind of stuff, and it's just quiet. Is there, God, are you really even there? And God is saying, I really am aware of your suffering. But look at this, what the example with Moses is good, is God is, has, it says, I have heard their cries. In other words, it's kind of a past tense. There's a time frame here that's involved. I'm, I'm hearing your cries. I've heard you calling out. It wasn't like I heard a cry and instantly I answer and I take care of this. I've heard your cries and I'm putting the details in motion. I'm doing some things. One of the things that we see that is delaying this is Moses is having an argument. That was last week where he says, well, I can't do this. And back and forth, God says, okay, all right, Moses, all right. What's in your hand? A staff. He didn't have to. He could have just said, Moses, do this. And Moses goes, okay. And the staff would have no significance. It might have still been used, but it wouldn't have been part of the story. Because why? Moses' faith was the key. But Moses was struggling. He was arguing, which was why God said, what's in your hand? So think about this. What if you're the Israelite person that is under slavery and you're being abused by your leaders, all this other stuff that's going on? I heard somebody one time say that the slavery of the Egyptians was not that big of a deal. It wasn't bad. It wasn't like um, slavery like in, in America 150 years ago. Where do you get that from? Because when, when Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, Pharaoh, uh, let my people go, he says, nope. And I'm going to be harder and meaner to all these people, make twice as many bricks, less materials. How is that a cushy, nice little uh, Santa Barbara type of slavery? This, this is slavery. This is serious stuff. So you're one of the Israelites that's under slavery, and you're saying, God, please deliver us, please deliver us. And Moses is arguing with God, taking his time back and forth. I don't want to. I can't. Da, 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 da. You're saying, Moses, just trust God. Just do this. We're in slavery. There's some of that mentality that sometimes the, the answer is not coming as quick as it can because people get involved. Sometimes we're the people that are getting involved. I was thinking about this, and I don't, I don't want to overdo this, but I want to give this as an example. A couple years ago, God really began to work on me about this, convicted me of this. So six years ago, Lynn and I come to be the pastors here. About a year before that um, or so is when the church started uh, the... Um, the transition process of looking for a pastor. Uh, Randy Papineau had been the pastor here, and then there was an interim pastor for, for about a year, and then Lynn and I came. And during that year transition time, the church really struggled through some things, went through some difficult things. Some, uh, the transition didn't go so smooth in some ways. Okay. Now, with that said, I was thinking about this and praying about this a couple years ago, and God really worked on me about this, that um, we first heard about... Uh, the resignation of Randy the morning he resigned. <laughs> he still gives me a hard time about that because um, some people in this church called us that morning and said, hey, Randy left. So um, Randy's my friend. And so, uh, although that might have tested it, but Randy's my friend. And uh, so we heard about this and I resisted. My wife was complicit some, but not totally later. She got quickly listen to God, but I was still struggling and resisting. God, do you really want me to do this? I don't want to do this. Are you sure? And all some kind of stuff, okay? I really believe, to this day, I really believe that if I would have listened to God immediately and been open to what God was saying and not being so caught up in myself in this, that that transition time 
first wouldn't have happened the exact same way, definitely wouldn't have been as long, and the church here wouldn't have struggled as much because I would have been listening to what God was saying. The reason the church struggled, I, I, I'm saying to a great extent, maybe not all, I don't want to take all of mine, but to some extent, to a great extent, because of me. Because I'm over in, in the other side of Denver having my own life and issues and processes and thinking and all this other stuff. Sometimes the reason that, that, that what God is doing and delivering and sending the answers and all the other stuff, sometimes the reason that that stuff doesn't happen is because people are getting in the way. People are doing their own people thing. I was getting in the way at that time frame. I was getting in the way uh, and causing issues. Even though I wasn't directly causing them, that was what was happening. And so the, the, the reality is sometimes that's the case. Sometimes there's a spiritual warfare thing going on that we haven't processed. Take about when Daniel is doing his fasting, and finally the angel comes to Daniel and says, I heard you from the very beginning, but we've been fighting a battle. We can't, I couldn't get right to you because there was a, a, Satan wouldn't want me to. There's a battle going on. Sometimes the issues that we're having are spiritual warfare things that have to be fought through. That's why it's important as Christians that we don't live uh, passively in our Christianity, that we don't just take whatever comes and this is, this is the lot in life, or whatever, but we got to fight it out. We got to pray it out. We got to continue to pray, continue to pray, and continue to pray. Because why? There's a, there's a, there's a fight going on, there's a spiritual thing happening. There can be other reasons when God is saying to us, I heard you, past tense, I'm aware of your suffering, and I am going to take care of this. There may be reasons why that didn't happen immediately. Okay, so that's where there has to be. Sometimes we just got to get our mind and our spirit right. What I, what I was talking about earlier about just the, having the, the desperation, the hunger for God, I believe that's, I believe that's crucial to this. God, I, I, I need you to be God over me. And that has to be part of the subject with this. So let's go back to the, to the, to the other story with Elijah, 1 Kings chapter 17. Is it, uh, so last week I was talking about Elijah. The, the, the focus I was looking at last week in this story is when Elijah said, you're never going to uh, be empty. You're always going to have oil and flour in those pots. They look empty, but every time you pour out, there's always going to be more oil pouring out of there. Okay? So let's, let's go back to that same story in 1 Kings and let's look a little differently. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Seraphith near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went there. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water and a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. Now, the, ne the rest of the story is he said, no, don't do this. Make me some bread first. She, she, I talked about this last week. She makes the bread first. Give to God first. That's a very important thing. And then, and then she didn't run out of oil until the drought was over. She never ran out of oil. There was oil and flour. That's a supernatural thing. A miracle unfolds right in front of their eyes. Okay. Now, with that, let's look at the, the, <clears throat> the, the part where she says, okay, uh, I don't have anything left. My son and I are about to die. We've got nothing left. We're just, we're done. There's a desperation mentality that comes along with that. There's a, I don't have any other options. And, and I, I wonder, and I'm saying this in my own life, but, but for you too, I, I wonder how easy it is for us to depend on so many other things. Do we really get to the point where we say, God, I'm just desperate. I've got nothing but you. 
My faith is totally in you. My trust is totally in you. I have no other options. I have no other source. I have nothing. I was thinking about, when I think about faith, I always think about the exact same story that pops in my head. Because see, in today's society, when we talk, I'm saying in American church, when we talk about faith, we actually, if you really look at how the word is used in scripture, and then the way we extrapolate this word, we're not, we're not actually, it's not the same mentality. We, we say faith, when we talk about faith, for the most part in the American church, we're talking about a cognitive, connected thinking process. Do I know God is real? Do I think he can? And it's more cognitive. It's not this depth of our soul and our spirit that is dependent upon this belief and the dependent and, and, and desperate for there to be a truth in this. It's more of a thought process. So this is the story that always happens. I, I, I talked to Harry Torres this week, and, and, and I, I was telling him this story, too. I thought, he, I thought I'd told him it to you before, but I hadn't. So, so, so here's the story. And this is more of what I would say faith. In fact, I would use the word trust more than I would use faith in today's society. Not because faith is not the right word, but because we've changed the way we use the word faith. It's more cognitive. So there, there was this family uh, years ago. There was this uh, trapeze family called the Walendas. Some of you that are older may remember who they are. They're called the Flying Walendas. And uh, they would do tightrope walking and trapeze and all this other stuff. And, and Daddy Walenda, the, the patriarch grandfather Walenda, was, was really known for tightrope walking, and he would do all this kind of stuff. Um, in fact, he, he died in the 70s in Luma, Peru, by walking across two buildings, and wind came up. And Okay, but that's kind of depressing, so that's not my story. But the, the, the story is he stretches a wire across Niagara Falls. Now, that's illegal today, but in those days it wasn't illegal. And so he stretches a wire across Niagara Falls, and he's walking.